Long time no see. It's me back with a new episode of the St. Mort Show. Uh, probably the first episode since WrestleMania weekend. Uh, that does not mean I have not been podcasting, though. As I've said in the past, the St. Mort Show has definitely become more of a occasional podcast. I'll pop out an episode here or there whenever I have something to release. But my main focus on weekly shows is over at Horror Movie Night. So if you're not checking out Horror Movie Night, you absolutely should because we have been doing some awesome things. And I'm not just saying that because it's my show. Uh, I would be saying that if it was anyone else's show. But this is from my trip to San Diego Comic-Con. I sat down with two people while I was out there. Uh, ben Begley, who is the writer and star of The Funhouse Massacre, which is one of my favorite horror films of the year. I had such a good time watching it. I got a copy of that from Scream Factory. And I sat down and talked to Jeff from Scream Factory, who was equally pleasant to speak to. I also just finished watching not one but two Scream Factory releases. I watched The Invasion of the Body Snatchers 70s film on Blu-ray, and they also released Session 9 on Blu-ray. Both of these films are fantastic. So after you finish listening to this episode, you're going to want to go over to ScreamFactoryDVD.com and pick up a copy of Funhouse Massacre. But while you're over there, why not also grab Session 9 and Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Really, there's not a bad movie in the Scream Factory catalog. And that sounds like a really shitty, like I'm being paid to say that kind of thing. But for a person like me who loves 80s horror films and 90s horror films and these forgotten films and these hidden gems. Scream Factory is really great at picking the right movie. It might not be a masterpiece, but they treat it like such, and that's why I love it so much. But that's all I have to say about Scream Factory. I think Jeff does a brilliant job talking about why Scream Factory is so unique and so special and so different. And then, of course, Ben is going to talk to us. We'll probably talk to Ben first, to be honest. Ben will sit down and chat with us all about why you should see uh, the Funhouse Massacre already. Why it should have already been a film that you watched. So make sure that you take some time to check out Ben's movie because it really is a blast. I'm not making it up when I say it's one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long, long time. I've been doing a bunch of stuff with Geekscape from writing and and you know, doing the podcast, but I also got to hang out, not just for San Diego Comic-Con, but also we did a Pokemon Go meetup uh, this past Friday that was just a blast. So hopefully you'll be seeing more of me out at the Geekscape events, and I do know that there should be a few more things going on in my near future with Horror Movie Night. We're trying to do some more conventions and stuff. So there is plenty of time to see Matt Kelly, uh, there just might not be a ton of times that you hear the St. Mort show, if that makes any sense. But you don't want to listen to me ramble. You want to listen to the interviews. Sorry for taking up your time. Check out Horror Movie Night, soundcloud.com backslash Horror Movie Night. Here is my interview with Ben Bagley, and it'll be followed by my interview with Jeff from Scream Factory. All right, St. Mort Show fans, I'm here with Ben Begley. He has created a movie called The Funhouse Massacre. If you're a listener of Horror Movie Night, my other podcast, you've heard me rave and rant about how good this movie truly is. 
It's definitely, in my opinion, the best thing that Scream Factory has put out as far as original content goes. I was very excited to know that he was signing at our booth here at San Diego Comic-Con. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thanks for your uh, glowing reviews, man. I appreciate it. It, it, it's, it means a lot to have actual fans of the genre and of the movies that really dig it. Sorry, we, we got distracted just there because someone tried to do a Pokemon stop while yeah. we were talking. You know, you never know. There's you gonna, never know. There's chances that this interview will be constantly interrupted <laughs> That's why my with, with sales of DVDs and posters. That's why my my thought just went, what's happening? Oh, <laughs> you caught a Pikachu. Congrats. But, um, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate all the kind words and, and everything you've done for this. Well, I think with Funhouse Massacre, and I've talked to you enough to figure this out just in conversation, but it is kind of the thing that fans have been wanting, which is a horror movie that reminds us of the movies that we would have rented yep. as kids. Yeah. And the thing that Funhouse Massacre does beautifully is that it definitely acknowledges, you know, when you were a kid and you were renting these movies that you probably shouldn't have been renting, yeah. oh, depending yeah. on how young you were, you had certain expectations. And those expectations was... You know, some some lewd, some lewd sex scenes, some lewd behavior, some some over-the-top gore, and some really dope-ass killers. And those were the only three things you cared about. There were yep. movies that were legitimate masterpieces that I watched at 14, and if it didn't have those three things, I thought that they were the worst movie. <laughs> and it wasn't until like I grew older to appreciate like that's a fantastic. slow burn movie. That's fantastic. But like Funhouse Massacre is definitely one of those movies that's born out of the kids who grew up yep. with that thought process of like I just want, I just want the sex, the violence, and the rock and roll that, that the, come in a horror movie. That was the goal. Was just because we were racking our brains and we were like, when was the last really fun? slasher film because there's been a lot of ghost movies a lot of possessed children movies a lot of uh, found footage and zombie films but when was the last really good slasher flick that came out original slasher film that wasn't self-aware like yeah. too self-aware it's always ever since Scream it's always yeah. got to be too aware that it's a slasher yeah, film yeah and I, I would say that ours ours is more self-aware in the fact that it's self-aware that it's being born out of the 80s and 90s slasher films but it's not we, we try not to wink so much that it gets annoying. And, um, yeah, we just wanted to have a, a movie that you could go with your friends at midnight and just have a blast and get drunk and take a shot every time someone dies. Don't do that because you may actually get alcohol poisoning with the body. <laughs> I, think, I think Rocco alone kills 32 people on and off screen. It's crazy. It's, it's got <laughs> it's such nuts. a cool high, uh, high body count. I do want to ask a question about... Yeah. The killers, because there's there's uh, six, of, six them. of them in the movie, which I don't think has ever been done before. I think it's usually one or two at most. Yes, you've got the Sinister Six right here. Yeah. Uh, so or the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, so it's clear that a, a few of them are based on yeah. on other movie characters, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, are all are all six? Would you say like when you were writing each character? For each one, was there a point where you're like, okay, this is going to be kind of my homage to this this film, and yeah. this one's going to be an homage to this one? It was a little bit like that. The goal was, we started, we researched a lot of serial killers when we were thinking of this movie, and uh, it got really creepy, because most serial killers just do stuff that's not fun or entertaining in any way. It's just gross and disgusting and, like, sick shit that you don't yeah. want to see in a movie. So what we kind of based the killers on, we based them on a handful of real killers, Batman Arkham Asylum villains and then with a dash of a nod to to Slasher's past. Like the dollface character is very much a Harley Quinn-ish character. Animal the Cannibals kind of like a Ed Gein. Yeah. But if you mix Ed Gein and like a top chef from a, a big upscale New York restaurant, 
Uh, the taxidermist is a little Norma, Norm, Norman Batesy, obviously. Yeah. Um, Rocco the Clown is, is, in my opinion, he's like a clown leather face meets Doink the Clown from WWE. Which he's, is awesome. He's an ex-wrestler who rips off a dude's face and wears it, and it's a clown skin mask. Uh, and the dentist was just easy because no one likes going to the dentist. And obviously, that's a nod to horror films, too. But it's... it's um, it's just we try to play with fun things that could be in a haunted house, in a fun house, and that are still fun kills, but you're not like, oh, shit, what which, am I watching? Which is, you know, one of my favorite tropes in, in horror films, and they don't do it enough, is yeah. the fun house. I love, like, there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's, a, there's one that came out, I want to say maybe like 2006. Scream No, I was going to say uh, Dark Ride. Oh yeah, I didn't see that one. Dark Ride's a little fun too, and it's it's very it's literally just the plot line to Funhouse. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's fun, but there's not enough that really do that. Yeah, and, and the it, goal was. And I think that's a tragedy. Come on, guys. <laughs> Indeed. You guys, These horror, guys, you guys, horror fans. Oh, they're, you're they're writers. Pokemon. They're writers for the site and Pokemon uh, fans. Okay, that's what it is. <laughs> I see. That's why. I just derailed our interview. That's I'm fine. Talking, it happens. We? It happens. Where we were, were talking. We? we were talking all the good things that are in this movie. Yes. Um, so, is there a reason why you decided to go with Rocco being a wrestler? Are you a wrestling fan on the side, or was it just you needed a, a good occupation for a guy to get away with killing a bunch of people? I was a big wrestling fan growing up, and uh, since a big part of this movie is influenced from the '80s and '90s in my childhood, it just seemed kind of. Appropriate. Appropriate when the heyday of WWF before it became WWE was like, was when I was growing up. Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, all that stuff. And um, it just seemed fun. I don't, I hadn't really seen A, an African American killer other than uh, Candyman, really, in a movie before, or B, this guy's massive. He is massive. So big. Mars Crane, shout out to Mars Crane. I think. If this catches on enough, he could be he could have his own spin-off franchise because he's so badass and well, scary. Well, and he he literally, I mean, talk about perfect casting. He looks like a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's incredible and he's the nicest guy. That he's that makes sense. So nice. He's such a nerd too. He's like into comics and stuff, so we would geek out. He's going to kill me for saying this, but whatever. He's such a nice guy and uh, I remember when he first showed up on set, he wanted to not talk to any of us so that we remain scared of him. Yeah. And that lasted like two days. And then he, <laughs> and he was joking with us. But like the first few days, he would just sit in the corner with his Rocco mask just looking at us, like breathing heavily. And can we talk about how cool the Rocco mask looks? Oh, I, that's, I, all, that's all Robert Kurtzman's uh, Becky House and, and uh, Barry. They they did a killer job designing it. The fact Creature that, Corps was the, the group that Robert Kurtzman's company did all that. The fact that the, math, the mouth just kind of hangs oh, loose. It's so eerie, right? Yeah. Especially it's, in the end, I don't want to spoil it, but in the end, that slow motion shot where it's like dangling, it's almost sad. Yeah. It, it gives it, it an expression. It's its just a really good movie. There's a lot of twists and turns that I didn't expect, really? which is also nice. That's awesome. There's, you know, you, Did when you expect you, the relationship that's revealed later on? I don't want to spoil it for not listeners. Not really. There was, okay. a, there was a lot of things that surprised me, but also just... When you go into a horror movie, you usually have like, okay, well, your bar is very low. I feel well, like sometimes. Well, it your bar is low, but also like you kind of immediately in the first five minutes, you're like, okay, well, these are the people that are going to survive, and blah, yeah. blah blah blah. And this movie doesn't really that was a care. Goal. Yep, care who you like. There's uh, a, there's a specific character. I won't say who dies in case people haven't watched it. But there's a specific character I had to fight to kill. Yeah, I mean you'll know who it is. Uh, but everybody, even on the day, was like. 
do we have to kill him? And I'm like, yes, because it's going to be that moment where the audience is like, I thought we were clear. I thought everything was fine. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. but No, you can curse all you want. But uh, yeah, that was the thing. The, the goal was like that you don't kill the black guy first because that's super typical and racist. <laughs> and, you know, you don't kill... You, we, we wanted to subvert the expectations so that you, you were kind of... Th- even though it's a comedy, you were kind of thrown off with who's going to die next. Yeah. Uh, I've... I've told you before that you are your your comedic timing in this movie is fantastic oh thank you uh one of the other people in this movie that i have to give a quick shout out to for just amazing delivery of the dialogue that you've written for him is the uh i'm blanking on his name but he's dressed as machete oh yeah eric chavaria oh he is so funny he is so every line of dialogue is so good from his character when we've done screenings i get jealous because he gets such i mean i get laughs but he gets huge laughs and I and every time we sit next to each other and I just look at him like you son of a bitch and then I'm like oh wait my wife and I wrote those lines never mind good job but no he's he's so funny and he's the nicest guy ever and uh just taking a character that that was um with all there's these car scenes where he's just hanging out talking to his and wife and there's some of the best scenes in the movie it doesn't make any sense most of those were completely improvised yeah like, I think that in the script it said he texts his girlfriend and then takes a swig of whiskey, and then he just improvised everything. <laughs> and so I, I would like to take credit for, like, Machete does the cutting and, and some of his other lines, like, are you using me as a human shield, things like that. But the, all the, that was the cool thing, is that the actors that, that we cast in it, that Andy, our director, cast in it, who he did a great job too, by the way, and Warner producing it, and my wife Renee co-writing it playing Laurie I'm just doing this is just my this is like the end of a rap song where yeah. I just shout out people for 30 yeah, minutes shout out for the- yeah. but uh, he um, the cool thing about the cast was they were all so funny that they would take what was on the page and they were respectful to it but then they also added their own flavor and we weren't precious with it we weren't like you must say these words and some of the best stuff came out of just them rolling with the scene and making it more natural for themselves and and so we had a good mix of improv and scripted and it was just it was a great group because sometimes you get a group of actors together and and they're like oh we improv and then they start improv and you're like that's terrible what are you doing yeah please but stop just were, read the, the words on the they page they were so funny <laughs> they were cracking me up all, i would go on my day off and just sit and watch for hours and just laugh along with everybody so i mean i, I guess at the end of the day people are going to want to know especially young filmmakers what was the process like to, you know, this, this isn't just like you guys made a movie yep. and you, you threw it out on, on Vimo and are handing out password, uh, yeah. posters. Like, this is released on Screen Factory, which yeah. is a pretty big deal. Like, how did you get to, you know, you've got Clint Howard in this and you've got Robert England and you've got a pretty nice advertisable backing to this whole movie. Was it just... The, was that all in the strength of the script, or was there like steps and yeah. years of work that took getting no, there? It, it all happened really fast. Um, I happened to post on Facebook about it, saying I excited to have written the third draft of our new horror comedy. And the guy who ended up directing it, Andy Palmer, he uh, he called me and was like, "Hey, what's the pitch and what's the budget?" And I told him, and I was like, "It's a, uh, it's you know maybe a million, I don't know." And it's a uh, it's a horror comedy. I gave him the pitch, and he was like, "Send it to me right now." And I was like, "Okay." And by November, by Thanksgiving of um, 2014, it was optioned. It was sold in January. We were shooting in April, done uh, April 19th, in theaters in AMC last year, and Friday the 13th in November, and then on DVD in June. So it was lightning fast. Yeah. And it just happened that the investor wanted something this genre and this type of horror film. Uh, 
And then Robert England came on board because Robert Kurtzman loved the script. And it was really cool to have people, because I've written a bunch of stuff, but I've just kind of kept it on a hard drive and never like shown anybody. Yeah. And so it was cool to have people saying like, no, we really, we really dig this script and we think it's fun. It's, it's entertaining. Because it's not like, I'm not trying to write the next greatest movie ever. We just wanted to write something fun that I would want to go see in a movie theater and laugh my ass off and cheer along to the gore. And um, so people responded really well to the script and, and uh, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. And, and it was really crazy to be on set and have Robert England, we meet him and he's like, oh, I wanted to rehearse a line for you. And he like goes through his line and asks if he can invert a sentence. And we're like, you can do whatever you want. You're Robert England. <laughs> But it's so cool how like uh, how professional and how they cared about the script and about doing it justice, even though it's a silly, ridiculous horror film. But everybody was so awesome. That was a very roundabout answer, but no, but that's yeah, perfect. It, it happened lightning speed, and and yeah, it was just the, all the right pieces kind of came together. All right. Well, I know that you've got some panels that you want to oh, hit yeah, up. It's yeah. it's crazy. We're at San Diego Comic Con, so we'll wrap it up here. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you a little bit more throughout this week. But thank you so much. Thank you. Thank appreciate you for it, doing this awesome movie, man. It really is. Thank a you for thinking it's awesome. I appreciate that. All right, so here we are. Uh, we just finished our interview with Ben Bagley about Funhouse Massacre. So, what better way to follow that up with talking to Jeff Nelson of Scream Factory, who put out the Funhouse Massacre as well as all of your favorite movies that you never thought you'd see on <laughs> DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, so. I've heard you many times on different podcasts, and the the I never stop being amazed by what Scream Factory actually is able to give us. And you know, there's these movies that come out that are just, you know, I never would have seen Phantom of the Paradise had it not been for you guys putting that out. It had been a movie I'd heard of, right? I'd heard great things, right? But I never got to see it. And then suddenly, I have a double disc DVD that I can watch and right. enjoy. All the information I could ever want to know about this great film. And that's just one of literally hundreds of titles at this point. Over 200 at this point. What is the, like, what is the selection process like? I know that it's really tough. You were telling me earlier before we were recording, like, Deathly Comes Her was just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. But, like, what, when does that conversation start? Is it just from fans writing in on the Facebook wall, or is there, you know, a monthly meeting where you guys just say, hey, throw some titles at us and let's see what we can do? Well, you know, um, Cliff McMillan, who is my other half of Scream Factory, we are the two people that created the brand. He does the production of the Blu-rays and uh, acquires the films. I do the marketing, and we collaborate a lot together. We're both, at the end of the day, we said this on several podcasts, fans, and we talk about the films that we want to go after um, to put out in this brand. And thankfully, in the last four years, we've, I mean, it's just, it's blown our minds of how many good ones and even undiscovered ones we've been able to get. But there's a reality check. Yeah. So when we look at certain films, we have to say to ourselves, do we have a relationship with a studio where we could feasibly sublicense them from? And if we don't, um, say, for instance, we don't have a relationship now with Paramount, we can't go after Pet Cemetery, you yeah. know, because we can't, we don't have that door open. Or we can't go to, War, we can't get Critters or Creep Show because Warner Brothers has it unlocked. So we have to see who we can realistically get the stuff from first. Um, and then we go from there. Uh, we have conversations daily uh, through email, through phone. We have weekly in-person meetings with other departments. We talk about 
the titles that are we are able to get, what's coming up, and okay, have we contacted talent um, on these films so we can get the extras ahead and you know call it a collector's edition? Or are we realistically going to be able to call this a collector's edition if we don't have enough extras? We have a lot of that kind of like, all right, here's, uh, I'll use Death Becomes Her as an example. Yeah. We, we knew it was requested a lot. We're fans of it. So we got it, sub-licensed it from Universal. And then I was like, damn, we got it. Okay, what do we do here? Well, we knew we were going to put it in widescreen for the first time because the last DVD botched it. And then we were like, okay, that's a movie with a lot of talent. Bruce Willis, uh, Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, Robert Zemeckis. At the time we announced it, it didn't seem likely that we were going to have any of those people to come to the table just because they're busy, just because they're doing other things, or a lot of other reasons. Yeah. But then Robert Zemeckis came through. And we were like, oh my God, well, we can call this a collector's edition now. And yeah. we, we thought we were going to get Meryl Streep. And, um, and then things change. Talent <laughs> changes their mind. Um, lots of factors come in. And sometimes we're left with, all right, well, this didn't turn out quite like we wanted it to. Serpent in the Rainbow was a great example of, we had it on the schedule. Wes Craven passed away. Yeah. We had to do things differently. We had to kind of do things differently. He wasn't available. Lots of things can happen, but we talk about them all the time. Trust me when I tell you this. We, we sometimes over-talk these titles. My, my favorite... Uh We'll say snafu. I think that's the best way to describe it. My favorite snafu that has happened, um, and it's totally understandable, because when it was announced, I was like, how the hell are they putting that out, was Cruel Jaws. Oh, yeah. There was like two oh, days where God, I was yes. super excited. Yes. That some, that was like, I don't know what strings they pulled, but it's happening. I love it. I can speak to that. We were excited about Cruel Jaws, too, because that is a ridiculously it's, it's bad movie. It's one of the movie. best oh. pieces of garbage. Yeah, it's so bad. Um, however, this is what happened. We knew that there was probably some scenes in there that was from another big famous shark movie. I think we were hoping that we could kind of slip that through a little bit. Yeah. But I gotta tell you, when we looked at the movie in full and we saw those scenes from that other movie directed by a guy by the name of Steven Spielberg <laughs> and some of the sequels that went into it, into it, we we are putting ourselves at risk. Yeah. Even though we were told from the people that we uh, licensed it from that it was in the clear. We can't take a risk on a title like that. As you know, Universal and Jaws, that's like one and the same. That's like their biggest property. Yeah. We, we have a relationship with Universal. That's why we get Death Becomes Her. That's why we got The Sentinel and People Under the Stairs and a whole bunch of other great movies. The Thing. We couldn't jeopardize our relationship with Universal over, I hate to say it, a very small title oh, yeah. that I mean, we'd already... That was going to be a double That was gonna be a double feature <laughs> and for good reason. Like, well, no one's... It's funny because it was going to be with Exterminators in the year 2000. I never which, heard of it, oh, and I loved so it. so silly. Such a, such yeah. a bad road warrior, you know, obviously Mad Max would yeah. pop. But it's too bad. However, though... The silver lining is that we lost Cruel Jaws, but we gained Women's Prison Massacre, and that movie is just flat out crazy shit. So if we can't if we can't do Cruel Jaws, <laughs> is there any chance of uh, was it The Last Shark or no, Great White? Or oh, is Great that... White. You know that. You, I, listen, I know that film very well. I used yeah. to have the poster of it. Yeah. Um, 
It's the best shark poster that's well, ever been made. Well, no, well, I agree with you, but <laughs> we'll never be able to put it out. And we we just know. It's like we can't, we'll never put out Abby, the Exorcist ripoff from the 70s that yeah. got sued and everything. They're just some movies that... Yeah, we just yeah. can't go it's down that route. It's it sucks. I hate it. I would love to have great white on a because blue it's light. such a ter- it's the wor- it's the best shark poster and the worst looking yeah. shark that's yeah. ever been put on. It's film. pretty it's pretty styrofoamy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It comes out of the water. Ah. So, are there any movies on on that particular topic? Are there any films that you had really had high hopes for and have just kind of been like, it's not going to happen. I have to just give up this dream and pursuit. Um, yeah, there have been. But you know what? I'm going to tell you this. Years ago, I never thought it was ever possible to get, myself personally, The Sentinel or Carrie. Those are two movies that I absolutely love. I didn't think that those were possible at all, the way that things were going. Look what happened. So I'd love to say never say never, but there are certain titles out there that... uh, All right, I'll say this. Although I'm not big fans of them, we know that fans want The Keep. Fright Night Part 2, yeah. Maximum Overdrive, um, uh, Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Uh, you know, there's a lot of titles in there. Actually, I like Hello Mary Lou. I got it. That is I, a I, really, I, that's I, one I, of the best sequels. That's definitely a best and a really underrated one. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of those movies unless some things really change because we know... We know where they are, where they're parked, some of the legal problems that are with it, um, or actually some of the unclear who's claiming some of these films for us to go after. And that's too bad, because I I think those would sell well. I think they would sell really well. so, yeah. so you're saying I should give up my hope of uh, like an alligator to the mutation uh, or arena on Blu-ray? Um, I would say I think we have arena and I think we put it out on a DVD really? or something like that. Wait, not through Scream. I have to. I'm it fuzzy may be on, shout then. Maybe fuzzy on that. Maybe it's on shout. That one would have because I think that came from MGM. That would have a little bit more of a shot than Alligator Two. Yeah. It's with an independent, and actually the independent owns Alligator One and Two. Oh. Which I would love, Alligator. Listen, oh, Alligator no, is one of Alligator. The best. Alligator is in my top ten, and Alligator. God, I and I and I give my left arm to be chewed off by an alligator. <laughs> it's weird because I, I even know in my head that I'm like, I, if they put out Alligator Two, I'd watch it and be like, wow, this is terrible. Yeah, but it's but, that childhood nostalgia of watching right. it on Sci-Fi every well, day. This like, is the funny thing is that a lot of movies that we watched that were even I'm terrible then and still terrible now, um, it's there's something. Oh, I don't know. Guilty pleasure. It's there. There's a feeling that you get when you watch those bad movies. You look and because you're. Yeah. I, I know for me, a lot of it is like, I watch it and I'm transferred to that age yep. on that couch with that cousin. I, like I, I just said, somebody asked me uh, recently, why did I, why did I think pop culture and nostalgia was important? And I said, kind of like what I said. Um, I said earlier in a conversation before this is that. This world right now, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. We want escapism. And when we look at that nostalgic stuff, when we put in our in our Blu-ray terror train, it may be a guy running around with an axe, you know, hacking up hip. But we saw that when we were most of the, the Scream fans, when we were 10, 12, 14, 15, at a time where we didn't care about politics, we didn't care about credit cards or college debts or, or all the stuff that as an adult we're faced with. And I think that 
it, it brings us back to a time, an innocent time. I hope I'm not meandering too much. No, but, you're not at but all. But you know what I mean? It's that, it's that, that feeling of like, ah, this is when there, I didn't have a care in the world except for when am I going to see the next Friday the 13th? My, my friend has a quote that I always liked, and I think she said she borrowed it from someone else, but she said she loves nostalgia because it's the only form of time travel that it That's does. absolutely that's true. Right. And you know what? It's funny you say that because that's one of the reasons, as you know, in a lot of our releases, we make a very concentrated effort to keep that original theatrical poster on the wrap that you can flip and look at. I love and, it. And I love that you trust that me, to us. We right. would never try to go away from that because that is a big deal. Look, I'm a, I'm a fan. When I get our collector's edition samples in-house, I do what most of you guys do. I take, I have the O-card, I take the reversible wrap, I flip it, I put it down, so I'm always having the... the, Both, the, you, the get, right. you get your cake and I, eat I, it, I too. It's I'm the only the time we do. do. Right. And, I, and I love... I love that. And I'm listen, I'm the type of person who sees the creative who looks at it and goes, we forgot the tagline. Or Raising Cain, we need to put this image in here from the poster, it's missing. Or like, I'll, I'll usually be that. And there's a pressure to that because we feel really fortunate that we have gotten titles that people and fans love. But there's a pressure because we feel like, oh God, we're the ones trying to make it the best so that it'll go over as well as they can. We do stress over this stuff sometimes. Um, uh, probably more than we should. But but then we get interviews like this. We get fans like you. We get a lot of fans that are really happy with what we do. So we're like, okay. It's not like we're we're losing sleep over nothing. At least yeah. it's being... That's we, being I can categorically tell you that I have all of the coasters that you gave uh, out maybe two Christmases ago <laughs> yes. in my cubicle at work. Oh, that's nice. And it is Conversation Starter City Yikes. every nice. time that a new hire comes in and they have to shadow me at work. And I, you know, they have a cup of water. I'm like, oh, use the coaster. And they're like, what, what is this? Oh, like, is this funny. sleepaway camp? I'm like, you better believe it's sleepaway camp. Uh, <laughs> when people come into my office at Scream Factory for the first time, whether it's people coming in for uh, um, either interviews or new hires or um, relationship calls, they'll come in and um, they'll look at my office, which is plastered with all of our posters and even my own posters that are up in the back. And it just looks like, a Halloween store meets like a dorm from you know, you know or a high, my high school bedroom you yeah. know what I mean like where I had all those video posters up and I love it and that's what I come into every day well I know it that inspires me I know that we're getting pretty close to uh, when when Scream Factory has a lot of cool announcements yes should we be getting ready for some good stuff coming around in time for Halloween uh, you know here's a deal so um, when does this go this will go up soon. You don't have to tell me any okay. titles. Nope, just get us, nope, just nope. get us stoked. So I'm going to say <laughs> this. So we have announced all of our October titles. All okay. of our, I mean, a lot of people are like, God, I can't believe that you announced Carrie, Exorcist, and Child's Play ahead of Comic-Con. Well, the reason why we had to do it is because of... Um, uh, uh, dates that go up on Amazon and stuff like that. We weren't going to be... We were going to... We weren't going to be able to do that. So the October titles are locked. Yeah. So going forward... November into the new year, I have about 13 titles to announce That's pretty tonight. exciting. Some of them, uh, and there's some, I, I said this last year, but I'm definitely saying it again this year, there is definitely something for everyone there. There's a lot of collector's editions, um, and I think there's some surprises. This um, is getting announced tonight. Uh, will be tonight. Uh, tonight. 
probably in the 830, 845. Right. It'll go up. Well, on this a, won't go up until later, like after the con. This will go up. Um, oh, this this yeah, uh, yeah. thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's some some great stuff. And believe me, once this goes up, and everyone's gonna like, lose their mind. They're gonna yeah. They're gonna. They'll already be talking by then. This is the arguably probably the best time for Screen Factories whenever we come to Comic Con because the announcements are not only met with such excitement here, but it'll be posted on social media very soon afterwards. And it's like an explosion of happiness. Well, because I'm sure there's always, I'm sure you go out of your way to make sure that every July you get at least one of the movies that the internet's been asking for for the whole year. Or we are, you know, like I said, we're really fortunate. Last year at Comic-Con, we announced Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. And, of course, here we are now. We're selling it. It came out. It came out beautifully. Um, uh, we have some good surprises. We actually have some more. And the other thing, too, is, and I'll leave this as a tease, we actually have more in the pipeline, but those deals didn't get signed before we could announce them tonight. So which means that there are more announcements to come later on when they're announced is when they're announced. But we have to make sure that we are in the clear because, because we've, listen, you mentioned it with Cruel Jaws. We hate retracting a title. Yeah. We are like, ugh. We can't put out Hellhole because we don't have elements. Well, two years later, oh, well, we found elements and we put it out. But we hate doing that. And we hate delaying street dates. And we hate, you know, we, 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 we take that stuff very seriously. But I think as a, as a fan, I can categorically say that you guys really handle any of that well. Thank I, you. I don't think... We try. I, I mean, I, I'd hate to bring up the subject, but you guys handled the Jeepers Creepers fiasco better than I think anyone ever could have. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I have to say this really candidly. That was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my career ever was to honestly face the white elephant in the room yeah. and address that on a podcast that I knew would be listened to from a lot of people that, quite frankly, scratched their heads as to why we would take on such a controversial release. Yeah. I don't blame them at all. And again, I stress that not everybody at Shout Factory was on board with that release. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Maybe one of these days when I do a tell-all, I'll be able to, you know, <laughs> really, really, really say the truth. But it was ever. a really tough thing. Um, it's interesting. The sales from them have been okay, but the, the, for me, God, it, it was so awkward as a marketing person to not be able to market our titles. We per I purposely, after our first announcement, that was it. Yeah. I wasn't going to put anything else on social media about that release because I knew it was a sensitive topic and I honestly just didn't want to stoke that fire even more. Yeah. I really do have, trust me when I say this, a sensitivity to that subject. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and because of it, it was a hard release for me to, to, to embrace and get behind. I will say what I said on that podcast is that, again, if you're a fan of those films, well, we did great. We, we did what we normally do on a collector's release, but it was hard. And I thank you for acknowledging that again because it's still one of those titles, I'm, two titles that I just shake my head at. And For, yeah. for the sake of my blog, uh, I have a blog where I review every DVD that I own in alphabetical order. 
I just finished letter C, and I had to write about Clown House because oh, I, I stumbled yeah. upon a copy of that, and yeah. I was like, oh, I, and it's it's such a tough subject because you really have to more than any other director. I feel like it's really tough to separate the art from the artist on those, and it's a shame because they're well made. All of his movies are well made right. movies, but right. it's like yeah. They're kind of made by a monster. Yeah, totally. And I mean, the thing is, is that, but a lot of questions came up from people that were valid on it is that, you know, at what point, you know, people debate he didn't serve enough time. Yeah. Um, he's never committed a crime since. I'm not trying to go into defense on right now, not but there all. were a lot of things that came in. And, but I mean, with it, with it, with Clown House, we do get requests for it. I think you remember hearing me yeah. say, we'll, just ne- never, never, we'll never, never go for it. And we'll, we would never go for it. I mean, look, we barely went for Jeepers Creepers 1 and 2. Yeah. And this, there's way too much. It's tough because it's tough Jeep, to watch. Jeepers Creepers 2, uh, both of those titles brought up in the company a going forward, being sensitive on content. Yeah. So, for instance, if we were looking at some sort of jungle holocaust movie where animals were getting murdered, cannibal holocaust, like some say, of those yeah. things, that would be a little too much. We probably wouldn't go for something like that because, well, it's real animals. I'm just throwing it out there as a possible, yeah. but that would upset a lot of people, even in our own company. Um, Human Centipede was an envelope pusher for us big time when we got it through the IFC line and we were sort of obligated to put it out. That was, uh, that's a rough franchise to go through. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it I'm myself. I'm not either. I, I, I don't knock anybody who enjoys it and watch it. I'm sure that it has its own creative merits. And obviously they had three sequels. Barely se- so, so they, so they, sequels. So there is a base and I don't judge anybody who enjoys them. I have to be clear about that. Yeah. Not my cup of tea, but the subject matter, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not going to shit things. Yeah. I'm just not going there, yeah. So I guess the last thing I want to ask to tie back in with the previous interview, mm-hmm. because we had Ben Begley from Funhouse Massacre, is that Scream uh, in the last year or so has started doing their own original films mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And how is, has that been successful enough that that's a thing you're going to continue pursuing? So um, we had um, Fender Bender, which was our very first like original from script all the way up kind of film, came out in, uh, I think it was May in Chiller, and it's coming out on Blu-ray in October. And, um, you know, uh, I think it was received well. It's a slasher film. It's all thrown back to the kind of the 80s stuff. Um, I think more people will see it and take to it when it comes out in October. Yeah. Uh, I think Chiller Network, not everybody has it. It's also, Chiller Network is not in HD. Some people are like, ah, I don't, you know, I'll wait. I think it's a, a, a fun, guilty pleasure. Um, to answer your question, we have been looking at more, acquiring more contemporary films. And some of them are doing really well. Some of them not so well. We're doing a lot of experimenting. I think Shout Factory as a whole have been looking at a lot of new content in general because a lot of people's habits have moved over into the streaming world. And a lot of these movies like Fender Bender, Bites, for instance, and we have The Binding coming up, uh, um, those will be also available for streaming. So it's funny because we focus a lot on the collectors, the physical. Yeah. And that's 
we're not going to change that on the catalog stuff, the return of the living deads and the and the, the things, because we as fans want we want them. We want to hold them. We don't want a digital file. We don't want to stream it. We want it. We shell- want people to come in our right. basement and yes. see this wall of DVDs right. and go, "What is this? A blockbuster?" Right. right. <laughs> we want. We want. But we also know that look with a Blu-ray and you put it in your machine. Chances are your machine is going to be more reliable than some sputtering Wi-Fi and the HD, and it's going to look the best it can. And, and you also want to be able to not have to rely on, so, so Netflix has it this month, but they're not going to have it this month, or Amazon might have it here. We like to own it. Yeah. So that's for the older stuff. For the new stuff, there's still going to be physical play, but I know that that focus is more into digital, streaming, on-demand, and kind of where those things play. I think that um, we learned a lot in Fender Bender in particular. Um, we see what's working on something like a Funhouse Massacre or is not working on with some other unnamed titles. Yeah. Um, and we keep trying to hone it, you know. Personally, I would love it if our company had our own The Babadook. Yeah. You know, The Babadook came out from IFC. We were able to put it on a home video. It is our number one selling title by far. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge hit. I would love for Scream Factory to have our own word of mouth major movie like The Babadook. And hopefully one of these days something like I think that would really happen. Will. I, I... I keep, uh, I mean, I, I'm the biggest champion for, for Funhouse Massacre because yep. it is like, it's all of those things that you grew up watching and loving. Yep. It's got cool deaths, all practical effects, it's all that stuff. Well, and I keep was... hearing people speak more and more about it as like it's out there and that's cover, it's, the cover is a huge element. Well, and the thing is, the Funhouse Massacre, I have to give credit to the filmmakers of that. They did a very good job engaging a base. They were all on social media. Um, they had talent. I mean, you had Robert Ingram. England and, and uh, Courtney Gaines. I mean, you had um, uh, Clint, Howard. Clint Howard. You had names that speak to that fan in us. So that's going to get your attention. I think that what they did was really smart. And I'm glad to see that it's doing fairly well for us. That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much. For oh, your my time, God. Joe. Thank you guys so much. I, I often say I hope I didn't talk too much because I can tend to talk about this stuff. But I love what I do. And I hope that people are interested in wanting to hear what we do because we really do bust our butts but we like seeing the payoff of people like yourself that will come to us and say hey how do you do this <laughs> we're more than welcome to talk about that anytime awesome thank you so much thank you